Hi there, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, November 10th, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always by Mike Tanier. And our special guest this week is Matt Manicharian, our old friend from Sports Info Solutions. He is going to help us preview Week 10 in the NFL and talk to us about some players that are underrated this season, according to the SIS Total Points metric. Before we get to that, we want to remind you about our sponsor, which is Underdog Fantasy. You can come play with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, like mine with Darren Waller, who just went on IR, you can play Underdog Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft that has easier chances to win than your traditional DFS sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or try Pick'em Games, where you can easily pick your players' chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting is not yet allowed. Underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around, and you can join the fun at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS right now to double your first deposit up to $100. How's the season going for you, Matt? It's going pretty good. You know I'm, I'm not a big fantasy guy, but uh, – on the, on the topic of underdog fantasy, I was doing some exploring and I, and I thought it might be relevant for people that are playing fantasy. If you have your playoffs week 16 and 17, which I imagine is most people's semifinals and finals yeah. uh, these days, you might want to get some Baltimore Ravens on your team. The Baltimore Ravens based on our trench calculations, which calculate the offensive line, running backs, tight ends against the front seven of the defense. They play against the two bottom teams in front sevens. And they're the top team in our offensive trenches that week. So I was just messing around and, and looking at some stuff. But uh, that's that's my fantasy uh, nugget of the week. Oh, the hard part is guessing who's going to get the carries at that point because J.K. Dobbins should be back. But how will they split him between him and Edwards? And Drake. And Drake, yeah. And Drake. And not, but, just, not just running the ball. I mean, it's good to have a trenches advantage in the passing game, but also – I mean, the running game. But it also applies to the passing game too, right? Yeah. If they're – if the if Lamar Jackson's going to be unbothered, I'm 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 interested in all of that. Devin Duvernay season, I guess. And one thing about that also is the Ravens will be in the thick of jockeying for playoff position. So, if you're, like you're worried about the Eagles possibly being starting to rest people at that point, or some other teams. Looks like the yeah. Bills are not going to be on that track right now. But you've got this team that you know is going to be, especially Week 17, competing. Right. So um, SIS has this metric that they do total points. It's, you know, it's similar to like a war type metric. It kind of combines everything, you know, based on a lot of research, based on years of Sports Info Solutions charting and gives you an idea of which players are really bringing value. And it's a total stat, not a rate stat, right? So like this is going to matter when we talk about some of these players that you have as kind of underrated. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the players this year that are coming out surprisingly well in total points that people may not realize are having good seasons. Yeah. So like uh, to just build on like the quick background, what we do at, at sports info solutions, we're charting all the different data points, every player on each play, what their responsibility is and what they do. We're doing that all, not grading the players, just charting them. But then uh, Alex Vigderman leads our football research team. Um, the absolute uh, genius that he is. 
And that crew gets together and is able to use all those data points to figure out what a play should have been worth, what it what it was worth, but with an ability to divide it amongst the people on the play. So a lot of people like EPA. EPA is kind of what's at the core of it. EPA is analogous to DVOA in a lot of ways, except it's not defense adjusted and it works in the context of points instead of percentages above and below average. Um, but what we're able to do with total points is actually divide it up. So if you have a 30-yard passing play, we might say, oh, that was a 30-yard pass. That was a 30-yard reception. That was worth two EPA. But now we can actually figure out, was this the quarterback on a seven-step drop that was pressured, making a great throw, or is the receiver breaking tackles after the catch? So, yes, all that um, preface to say, I can't figure this one out very much. Maybe you have a better sense of this than me. But starting off at quarterback, I think, makes sense. We've got one Jacoby Brissett as our seventh overall quarterback in total points. Yeah. So on a rate basis, so on, on a per snap basis, like you were saying before. Yeah, I really he's seventh in ESPN's QBR and ninth in passing DVOA. So all the advanced metrics agree. We've been agree. We've been spending so much time paying attention to Geno Smith's crazy breakout season that nobody has noticed Jacoby Brissett having an almost equally as good crazy breakout season. Maybe telling us something. That may be telling us something. Anyway, go on. <laughs> About both seasons. Go on. Well, it is amazing. He's already been guaranteed to lose his job, right? Um, right. As soon as as soon as we get to that point, which is rapidly approaching, right? We're almost yes. there. Yeah, we're three weeks away from Deshaun Watson, and it's interesting because also, you know, you know, part of what's going on with Geno Smith is the receiver, right? We know Lockett and um, you know Metcalf are really good. Amari Cooper is really good, but I, I don't get the same feeling that Cleveland has a, you know, I mean, Njoku's a nice, nice tight end and all, but, you know, Peoples, Jones, whatever. I'd rather have the Seattle receivers than the Cleveland receivers. I'd rather have the Cleveland offensive line. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt about that. And Gino gets his love, too. He's fifth in total points so far this year. Uh, kind of the usual suspects ahead of him. Mahomes that clear leader in terms of, like, who should be the, the MVP right now. The way we have things, I don't. I don't know if you guys see it the same no, way. No, our numbers have Tua slightly ahead, but of course, our number, our numbers are not trying to separate Tua from his offense. So I've said a lot. Like, I think if you consider the scheme and the receivers, that Mahomes is the MVP. That I think Tua is getting more help. Right, and I think your numbers would reflect that. And to your point about rate basis, Tua missed those better parts of three games. He's right. second on a rate basis to Mahomes, and those the, the two of them are way ahead of, of Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Geno Smith, who, who come in three, four, five. So I think those would be the people in mind. I'd give the nod to Mahomes based on him having played in the more games and like what you were saying about the supporting cast so far. Yeah. But uh, I, who would have thought coming into the season, right, that that, that would be the conversation? No, it's 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 weird. And I mean, it shows you, I think, a lot like how good those receivers are and how good that Shanahan scheme is that Mike McDaniel brought with him to Miami. But even with all of that, Tua has been way better than what Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson were in their in their two games. And he's no been way not. better than anybody expected. Right. And I, I love Tua. But if you're excited about that team and you're looking to gamble, Harry kills at plus 330 for offensive player of the year. And that wow. seems like a shoe in at that point. I thought it might not be plus three thirty now. That's crazy. It might not be plus three thirty now because some joker in the New York Times was talking about that particular uh, those odds and 
saying that that yeah. was going to run away. But uh, I, I know a voter who tweeted out a few days ago that he would vote <laughs> for Tyreek Hill. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, I'll check it real quick, actually. So yeah. But who, who's in the non-quarterback conversation along with Tyreek? Uh, maybe that's a good segue. We could talk. About I don't. That. I don't. I don't. I mean, you know, people might talk about Chubb. They might talk about Derrick Henry. But I think if you're talking non-quarterbacks, right, the best one this year is Tyreek Hill. It's Here's the Offensive Player of the Year odds right now. Tyreek Hill is at plus 300. So one of us, Aaron or I, moved that uh, that market a little bit. It was me. Jalen Hurts is second at plus <laughs> 350. Lamar a third. Then you got Justin Jefferson at plus 1100. Might be a value there if you're if you're a, a, a big Vikings supporting voter. Diggs at plus 1200. Chubb plus 1400, Derek Henry at plus 1400, and Cooper Cup has slid down to plus 1400 as people realize it's, it's just not happening. He's going to catch 120 passes for, you know, 720 yards or however that's going to turn out for the Rams. Yeah, that's something else. I guess uh maybe injury risk boiling that into there. I'm sure that's that's adds some volatility to that particular market, but uh based on what we've seen so far, Tyreek Hill's just completely transformed that team. They're a totally yeah. different team. Uh, what what do you, who else do we have as uh, underrated players? We got running back. Who do we have for running back? Let's look at running back. Let's get your your boy from New England, Ramondre Stevenson, is our third ranked back after Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb, who would surprise uh, precisely nobody. But Ramondre Stevenson is up there, and it's sixth on a on a per play basis. So it's not just a a one thing there. I'm wondering what what you think of that. I think he's played really well, and their line is not. I mean, they're not as good at run blocking as they have been in past years. So I, I, I'm not completely shocked by that at all. Um, Stevenson's played really well. I think he's taken the starting job away, even when Damian Harris is healthy. And Har- Harris has like got an illness, so uh, he may not. Uh, he didn't play last week. I guess they're on bye this week, so he should be back next week. But yeah, Stevenson's a pretty talented back. And I Chubb and Jacobs being one and two makes total sense. The, the funny thing about Jacobs is just that coming into the season, we were all told, oh, they're going to go with a committee. They're going to go with a committee. They're going to go with a committee. And instead, McDaniels completely switched things up on everybody. And Jacobs gets all the care. Yeah. They are um, one of the more perplexing teams to try to figure out right now in terms of their path going forward. It's pretty broken on defense, but um, – yeah. Okay, flip side from Ramondre, Saquon Barkley, nowhere to be found on the top 10 list, which which surprised me. I started looking around trying to figure out what was going on there. And what it comes down to is his work as a receiver more than a runner. He's been solid as a, as a runner. Total points likes him as a running back this year, but he's got negative four receiving total points. Really? Wow. Yeah. So 28 receptions on 35 targets, which sounds pretty good. That's 80% until you realize his dot is half a yard downfield. And actually, total points doesn't like that very much because that's um, at that at that point downfield, you should be completing north of 90 percent of the passes that are thrown your way. Um, That's not all hit. That's not all on him. But he does have two drops on those 35 targets. And the most damning statistic on those 35 attempts and 28 receptions, just four of them resulted in first downs. So it's that it's that inefficiency in, in the in when he's caught passes, when he's been targeted. That, that total points really doesn't like, um, and he'll have to kind of dig his way out over the rest of the year. Interesting. Interesting, because he's an interesting, I mean, comeback player of the year candidate, obviously, for what he's done on the ground. But that's interesting that you don't have his receiving as being that 
valuable. I think we also have his regiming as being lower in value. Since you mentioned comeback player of the year, Geno Smith is now minus 135 for that. These are live lines. Saquon's at plus 140. He has been sliding down. I think there's a little bit of skepticism based on some of the stuff you were saying, Mark. Uh, Derek Henry at plus 1400, C Mac at plus 1600, and then all kinds of chaos after that. So it's a two person race, really, between Geno and Saquon. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Who do we have at receiver as our underrated player? At receiver, curious to hear what your guys' opinion is on Chris Olave. He's our seventh-ranked receiver on a per-snap basis, so quietly very good on a bad offense. Uh, where are you yeah, guys Yeah, my at? reaction would be I don't think he's underrated. I think people realize how good his season is. In fact, mm. I, I think he's a strong offensive rookie of the year candidate. He is, and since you segued me like that, you know I've got the uh, offensive rookie of the year. Lines up. Kenneth Walker is now at minus 130. Damian, three pit bulls. Pierce is at plus 200. Remember, he's the people's choice. Olave is at plus 700, so he's not that far off the pace. And I think what's working against him is the fact that that team is going to fall off the – is just going to fall out of relevancy along the way. But he's been phenomenal when I've watched him. He's the only one to throw to down there. Well, yeah, he's got the thing where the defenses have to key on him because who are who else are you worried about? Traquan Smith? I mean, Marquez Callaway? No, you're worried about Olave. You don't even yeah, have tight ends down there. And that's what you see. And I mean, for that reason, I'd say especially like keeper league wise, things like that. I think he, it's all upside from a fantasy perspective. Um, he's earned 27% of targets when he's been on the field, to your guys' point about him being the only guy to throw to. But 44% of their air yards, he's got – so, I mean, it's that that's just partially a reflection on everybody else. But that's really showing where he's going in the offense, how they're trying to use him. He's running deep routes 38% of the time. It's either a, a post, a corner, or, or a go route. Yeah. And he's getting 137 air yards per game. So I think that even outpaces what he's what his production has been so far. So interesting to hear you guys say, like, this guy's this guy's not underrated, but he's still there still might be some meat on the bone there, I think. Yeah, he's he's probably just under the radar of a lot of fans right now. One thing is the raw catch totals are low because like you said, it's all deep balls. Yeah. So if you're yeah. a fantasy guy, you got this guy, oh yeah, you know, three catches for 66 yards or whatever. Well, that's a phenomenal game for a rookie. Doesn't necessarily move the fantasy needle. And he's stuck behind these running backs in the offensive rookie of the year race. Yeah. Uh, total points, very boring in terms of the uh, surprises on the receiver list. It's A.J. Brown, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, <laughs> Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, kind yeah. of the. The, the guys you know are having good seasons are having good seasons. Okay. Well, I got this one that will definitely surprise you. The tight end that we have as the surprise this year, number one is Kelsey, number two is Goddard. Number three is Kyle Pitts, who I think from a from a everybody's perspective is like, what happened to Kyle Pitts this year? Where's the yeah, guy? That last I'm surprised year? he has enough volume to get to that point. Yeah, just 23 receptions and a 51% completion percentage when targeted. So 23 receptions on 45, not great. But total points again is looking at what he's done specifically. Only 27 of those targets have been catchable. That doesn't mean on target. That means even possible to have been caught. Every one of them that was on target, he's caught every on-target attempt. And uh, because of that, his efficiency has been good, along with the fact that this is a deep threat at the tight end position, that that total points is going to like that when you, when you pick up those air yards down the field like that. Now, what also I think is probably underrated is that he's improved as a blocker this year too. Oh. So they've moved him inside. He was aligned as a true tight end just 35% of the time last year. That's up to 48% of the time. He's been he's put up I think uh, twelve 
blocking total points already so far this year. And along with that, he's still maintaining that 30-plus percentage of deep routes in his route tree. So you're really starting to see them kind of refine the usage a little bit there. Again, I think like you're saying, the, the, he hasn't accumulated that much value um, so far this year, not on the level of a Kelsey or a Goddard. But um, I, when you look at looking forward into the season, the combination of somebody that can align in a three-point stance attached like that and present that vertical stretch to your defense, it's going to bring a lot of value. And uh, I, think, I think total points is, is kind of nudging us in the direction of maybe he's not struggling as much as everybody thinks he is. I think that gives you promise for next year. If Atlanta has a new quarterback next year, that we're like, all the talent is still there with Pitts. If right. it's a better quarterback situation where the on target is more often, like the talent is still there. Or, or they improve along the up offensive line and you get another receiver. So there's more outside. Like and maybe you're still rolling with Mariota, but it's a more functional and diverse offense than this sort of pistol diamond thing they're running. Uh, your sure. offensive lineman surprised me too. Oh yeah, Connor yeah. Williams, Miami Dolphins. Uh, they picked him up in the off season. Uh, center is a little bit easier than other offensive line positions, so he gets a little bit of an extra nudge compared to some of the the tackles and the guards that are on the list. But that's also part of the reason why he's been surprising. Um, anecdotally, I think he's he's really stabilized the Dolphins' offensive line in a lot of ways. Their offensive line has not been great, but it has not been the mess that it was last year. And yeah. along really with Robert Hunt, to me, it's really, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. I, I was about to say that. So you say it first. <laughs> along, I, Robert Hunt has also been really good this year. He plays right guard uh, right alongside him there. Teron Armstead, when he's been in at left tackle, has, as you know, changed that from being a, a total turnstile. Uh, like I said, still not great, but I think this whole offensive line has really changed a lot. And, and, it, and the two guys that stand out from a total point standpoint are, are Connor Williams and Robert Hunt. It is fascinating to me when different advanced metrics have different results. And it's interesting that Miami does terribly in the ESPN pass block win rate. Um, but obviously something's working <laughs> because their offense has been fantastic. So Williams and Hunt, like when I went, I actually went and looked at the, the leaderboard on SISdatahub.com. And um, Teron Armstead was lower than I expected, but Williams and Hunt are like right at the top. Yeah. Part of that, again, uh, Armstead missing a little bit of time there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of figuring that in. But um, the, the thing I'd be curious about that I, I haven't dug in on this with pass block win rate is how they treat when the ball comes out as quickly as it often does with Tua. Well, are that's the plays, thing is that that I think those plays don't get counted. They're just thrown right. out. Like they don't yeah. get counted at all. I think so. Okay, so maybe there's something going on there. We look at it as basically there's an expectation depending on what the type of drop. Is it a three-step drop, seven-step yeah. drop? There's okay. a sort of expectation there that you could go above or below um, with the timing. But uh, that is fascinating. I'm, I'm always interested in that too because, I full disclosure, I think everybody could be better about the way we evaluate every position. It's not like we've solved right. this. <laughs> Certainly for offensive linemen, nothing has been solved. but. Um, it's also it's interesting to me which linemen for Miami are high. Like I don't think anybody would have expected Connor Williams to come in right. really high this year, and he's and he is. Yep. One thing, know, I best... about, one thing I did talk about a couple of weeks ago in walkthrough using all those SIS stats is very rare blitzing against the Dolphins. Teams cannot blitz this opponent. 
So they're facing four pass rushers all the time. And like you said, the ball gets out very quickly. So no offense to Hunt Williams. Some advantages there that they're maximizing, I think, for that Dolphins offense. Right. Um, I'll say another thing, too. Very hard to separate offensive line performance from Mike McDaniel. Um, Just like it's hard to separate Tua's performance from him and Tyreek Hill. It's hard to separate that out, too. There is an effect there that the offense is functional and they're being put in positions where they can make the plays. Uh, just going back to tackles, um, Tristan Warfs is our top-ranked tackle in the league. Probably not a big surprise there. Second was Jawan Taylor, though, which uh, from Jacksonville, which which did surprise me. Um, I didn't see that one coming. And um, so that's they, interesting. I, is he a rookie, Jawan Taylor? I think he was no, a rookie last year. He was a rookie last year. Okay, he's second or third year uh, yeah. player. He's a right tackle, right? Yeah, yeah. But, we'll, uh, we'll get to Jacksonville once we get to your defensive 20, players. Guys, 2019, 20, 2019, guys, 2019. Oh, fourth year? Yeah, he is a fourth-year ball player. Been a right tackle. He's been a, a starter. He has not missed a start in his career, which that's a feather in his cap. Um, and it might be an example of, like you say, a functional offense again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Historically, I'm looking at it now. Decent rookie year. Total points hated him in 2020. He uh, blew a ton of blocks, uh, had a bunch of holds. He had 11 holding penalties in 2021. Um, but so far this year, he's been off to a good start, just a 1.2% blown block rate overall. Um, probably be the kiss of death, looking at his uh, career history and how quickly me and Aaron thought about how great a player he was. He might be heading down that, that leaderboard shortly. Urban Meyer ordered him the block. And, re- and remember, by the way, for folks watching and listening to this, sisdatahub.com has the total points for every player for every year. It's really useful. Going back yes. a while. Going back a while at this point. For free. Uh, um, so let's do your defensive players, man. All right, flipping over to defense. Uh, this is a favorite of mine because it was a player that I hadn't watched a ton of until last year, and they went on their Super Bowl run. B.J. Hill from the Cincinnati Bengals, is our fifth-ranked defensive tackle. He is, like I said, at receiver. He's absolutely the only surprising name on that list behind Aaron Donald, Quinnen Williams, Jonathan Allen, DeForest Buckner. Uh, But B.J. Hill slots in at fifth there. And what's really interesting with him is they've upped his usage a bunch this year. This is a guy that historically in his career, he his 35 snaps per game type player, uh, first and second down guy, doesn't stay on the field in the pass rush situations. Career high was 44 snaps per game. And here he is this year playing 54 snaps per game, pretty much never leaving the field, not jumping off, you know, the, the leaderboards in terms of efficiency, but maintaining the level that he was at while, while, main, while being able to do that over more usage, which is, you know, something we're always talking about is the usage versus efficiency. And if you up the usage, can this guy maintain it? He's been able to pretty well maintain that efficiency. 15 pressures so far this year. Again, not letting the world on fire. But that's good when you're lined up in between the guards every snap, pretty much. Yeah, he's a ball player I liked coming out of North Carolina a lot. I remember him with the Giants. He was just a rotational guy, but he was useful, always had good stats. Yeah, yeah. it seems like he might be figuring it out, or they might be figuring out how to use him a, a bit better because he came on in the playoffs last year, too. Yep. All right, moving over to linebacker. Our top linebacker, by total points, absolutely shocked me, Jordan Hicks. Of okay. the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. Yeah, uh, the guy Arizona got rid of. Yeah, didn't, didn't care for him, didn't need him. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he's been all over the field. Like, his stat line is kind of like he's done a little bit of everything. Um, but, really, it's been the coverage where where he's really stood out. 
um, coverage. Me and Aaron used to talk about it all the time. Notoriously unstable year over year uh, in individual coverage stats. But what he's done so far this year um, in terms of making plays with interceptions, getting his hands on the ball. Uh, when he's been asked to pass rush, he's been very productive there, getting pressures and sacks. Um, and he's been solid in run defense for them too. So he's fit in really nicely into that Minnesota defense. Um, you know, might be another example of somebody uh, like we were talking about a minute ago with Jawan Taylor that I'd be nervous about going forward uh, in maintaining that sort of coverage prowess just based on the instability there. Yeah, but he's been but he's been really good so far. So it, there's an ex part, some explanation for the seven and one start. Yeah, it's all Jordan Hicks, basically. <laughs> yeah, the other guy I noticed, by the way, when I looked at the linebackers was Devin Lloyd, the rookie yeah. from Jacksonville, does is yeah. really having a great season. That Jacksonville so, defense is something to keep an eye on with, with the young players they've got assembled there. Yeah, because uh, linebackers generally have fewer total points saved than cornerbacks, he's not having as good a rookie season by total points as Ahmad Gardner is, but he's right. having a really good rookie season. Right. Uh, and speaking of Jacksonville, your top defensive back. There you go, right into it. Is our, our, our top corner tied with James Bradbury and Pat Sertan for the turtle points lead is Tyson Campbell uh, yeah. of Jacksonville. Um, spending a bunch of time in the slot, also some time outside. They kind of use him all, all bits of ways. Been targeted 44 times and allowed only 235 yards. So that means his average game so far this year, he's been targeted five times and given up 26 yards per game. Hmm. Um, so really strong year for him. And he's also, like I said, he'll line up in the slot and he's done some things, uh, you know, tossing his body around in the run game for them too. So not just being a one dimensional player there. Awesome. Yeah. Jacksonville's about. defense has got some guys. They do. They've got a lot of young talent there. That's a, it's very inconsistent. If you watch them week to week. Right. But if you look at, yeah, guys like obviously Walker guys, like they, like, they are so set up for us to be promoting them next August. Everything is set up for them to be the team that like outscores its opponents, but ends up with a losing record and has a bunch of young talent that looks like it's going to coalesce and promising young quarterback. And everything sets up for Jacksonville to look good for 2023. Yeah, especially a year removed from what was their coach. Um, it's been interesting seeing, too, how Peterson's continued to be aggressive in terms of a fourth down guy uh, like he was when he was with the Eagles. Yeah, And they've had some – and say mixed results to say to say it nicely in terms of what's been going on there. Even some some analytics people that that are kind of pro math, uh, I've seen say we got to we got to chill out with this kind of stuff. It's costing us games. Um, you guys buying that argument at all? I mean, I haven't seen their games closely enough to say oh they've made some fourth down decisions that I disagree with. I my feeling about fourth down this year is it feels like defenses are practicing it more. Like it just feels like teams are converting less than the models believe that they will, and I I don't know whether that's random variation or that defenses are practicing short yardage more to now that they know teams are going to go for it more. That that is kind of my worry that our models are based on where everything was about four years ago, mm -hmm. and that yeah, like especially a fourth and three situation. I, I know the Jaguars have been like in these sort of fourth and three type things, and they right. yeah, and yeah, if you practice it, if you if you if you adjust to it a little bit and it changes the percentage points by a couple of points, that could be all it is. So yeah, you don't want to go all the way pendulum swing in the other direction. I haven't watched every single Jaguars game, but I did notice a couple of times. It's like, 
are you sure, Doug? Are you sure you've got the personnel to do what you're about to do? You don't really have a go-to number one receiver to turn to. You don't have a running quarterback. That offensive line is okay, but not great. Is this the time to do it? And I think those factors are starting. Like we've we have sort of reached the the like optimization point on fourth downs, or we're very close to the optimization point, and you could push past it at some point. That would be interesting. We've definitely seen a pendulum shift in terms of run versus pass, and that's coincided with just a lower scoring environment this year. Yep. I'm just remembering the fourth down Trevor Lawrence runs like a speed option to the, to the right and tries to do a pitch. I think the ETN by the Jaguar. So there, there's a little bit of a play calling. Like, like we have to find the optimization on the play calling here too. When you're running this sort of weird option play that you don't run, Justin Fields is not your quarterback, you know, and you're running. Yeah. Option. yeah some of that is, is, is a concern. Although, listen, I'm a I'm a big fan of option. I'm going to go to bat for option on fourth and one. I think option is a good speed. Option is a good play on fourth and one. That just didn't work. I generally I generally agree with that too. If you uh, if you run it sometimes, the Eagles do it. That's fine. You're saying that they never run it normally. You never so run like, it, and here's where you run it. They're how often did they, how often have they likely practiced it? Right. Right. And I forget who like ran their tight end into fullback and gave the fullback give to the tight end. If you never give that guy the ball, but you're going to give it to him on fourth and one now, run Highland Granson, I think. Yes. The Colts well, had their third string tight end take a carry on a fourth down. Jeff Saturday will take care of that. Don't you worry. Right. <laughs> He's, He's fearless. He's got no problem. He's fearless. And fearless. Um, all right. Wrapping it up, uh, the one last player I want to shout out is a punter. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Justin Tucker leads kickers with 14 total points this year, but there is a punter with 15 total points so far this year. Ryan Stonehouse got to give the punter some love. He's got 17 of his 43 punts inside the 20. Um, can't tell you what he looks like, but uh, kudos to Ryan Stonehouse. Um, he leads our gross punt value. Also the Titans have given up a lot of long returns, so they don't, they're actually only average in net punting, but in gross punting, they're fantastic. And he was keeping them in that game. Well, not keeping them in the game because they were leading, but he was helping them almost pull that upset last week. He was pinning the, the, the Chiefs back deep early in that game. Yeah. And so, so with punters, to, the way total points will work is it'll incorporate the distance of the punt and the hang time to help give a, an expected return. Basically, yeah. that'll go for it. So he won't get dinged by a lot of things that were legitimately not his fault, assuming he's forcing a lot of fair catches, getting the ball inside the 20, and getting good hang time on, on, on the punts that, that are getting returned. Yeah, he's been he's been great. All right, uh, SISDataHub.com, I'm just going to mention it again, really useful. The total point stat is really useful, especially for looking at players at non-skill positions, the non-fantasy positions. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this week's games. Let's quickly go through them and talk a little about them. Started at 9.30 a.m. with Seahawks versus Buccaneers. Um, Seahawks are fifth in DVOA. Buccaneers are 10th. And I actually looked up some data hub numbers on this. And what blew me away is we hear so much about Tariq Woolen. Michael Jackson from Seattle cornerback is allowing 3.7 yards per target. Nice. That's awesome. Yes. How much of that is the Cardinals and Giants refusing to throw the ball more than four yards down the field against them? That might be one of the questions. Some of that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking at – this game's kind of funny because, like, I feel pretty comfortable saying that the the Seahawks are pretty 
average defensively, and they've been pretty good offensively so the, so far this year, which is completely what I wouldn't have expected going into the season. And then looking at the Bucks too, of course, Tom Brady's got the 20th ranked passing offense by total points, you know, halfway through the season, just like everybody expected. So, you know, this game continues to be a story to me of like, will it continue to be bizarro land or will Tom Brady decide that, okay, now's the time to start making the playoff run. And he still actually has that in him, despite the fact that we've all written him off again. Yeah, this definitely has that changing of the guard feeling. And again, I am I am the lone Geno Smith skeptic left on the planet, apparently. Um, and and uh, we had some readers, listeners who were coming in to talk to me and then they had to leave. But you're right. It's like, okay, the Seahawks, you beat the Giants, you're beating the Cardinals, et cetera. Beat the Buccaneers and really show me if this is a topsy-turvy world at this point. And, that, and that's the question I have. Yeah, it, it, a lot of this is sort of like, how much do you include your priors because if if you include your priors a lot you know you still assume that Seattle's defense is going to revert that Geno Smith is going to revert a little bit that the Buccaneers offense has to be a little bit better than this their defense had a couple of bad games but their defense has been top 10 overall yeah strength on strength their run defense against Kenneth Walker um yeah that'll be fun the um if you believe in a lot more priors, you're like, okay, Tampa Bay. But if you believe a lot more in what we've seen so far this year, you're like, hey, Seattle. One thing I did look up, and I don't have the Seahawks splits in front of me, first down passing, very, very strong. Second down passing, very, very strong. Tampa Bay defense, third in the NFL in first down passing, eighth in the NFL, excuse me, at stopping the defense, stopping third down passing. They're very good on early downs enforcing those third and longs. Seattle has been outstanding at preventing those third and longs by being balanced and passing the ball very well early. I think that's a matchup personally that's going to favor the Buccaneers. Oh, and then you said, then if you do get into third down, then you might start to see some of your doubts about Geno Smith show up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give props to one other guy. Speaking of SIS total points, Quandre Diggs only has five points saved, which surprised me. The other safety, Ryan Neal, has three. 31. He's played really well. That's not a guy anybody knows. Wow. I just wonder a little bit, again, because we see these two Cardinals games on the schedule and their their offense is banana pants. Yeah. And if you've got this system where it's like you're spreading the field and throwing the screen passes randomly and everything, and then you throw a Giants game on top of it, that's what, three out of eight, that's 37% of what the Seahawks have faced are teams that are very, very unusual. And that might be skewing their numbers. It will be interesting to see because this game, they're going to have to cover Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Julio Jones. Well, Jones did not practice again. I don't know if that's a rest thing, but you, I think Gage is on his way back. And yeah, you're going to face that. I, I think that the giant, I think that the Buccaneers decline in offense is real, but I think their strength in defense remains a pretty significant strength. So the line is Buccaneers minus three. With an over-under of 44.5. 44? It went down. And that's and that's with the Seahawks traveling across the world. Yeah, even farther than Tampa Bay. No, to Germany, right? Yes, this game is in Munich, Germany. They're in Munich. And I usually avoid the 930 games, but this is a good enough game that I think I'm going to force my girlfriend to have it on the television. Yeah, uh, looking at, just to your point, Mike, about uh, the – where where the games have come from. His best game by from a total point standpoint was when he had yep. nine against the Chargers, 
oh. in week three. Um, he had an interception that game. That'll that'll help explain it, uh, of course. And the the Chargers were had had lapsed into injuries and screen passes mode at that point too. Possibly that might have been a factor. I mean, the Chargers the Chargers offense is one. Of, we'll we'll get there, I guess. But uh, <laughs> that's the last game we're covering. We'll we'll talk about the Chargers offense. But in terms of this game, I will be on the Discord. Football Outsiders Discord, you can look at the thing at the bottom there and you can join our Discord. I'll be there 9.30 in the morning. I am leaning towards taking the Buccaneers in this game. At 44.5, I'm leaning towards the under in this because I think this is going to be a Geno course correction for, to a degree. And I'm seeing – and throw in jet lag. I, I've, I've flown that Germany to uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, thing. It's no, it's no joke. So throw that in. And I'm definitely going under and I'm leaning Buccaneers. I'm leaning Seahawks. Seahawks plus three. Yeah, I'd stay away and I'd just take the points if you force me to put a gun to my head. But this one seems uh, very random in terms of uh, <laughs> what to expect. All right, 1 o'clock, Vikings at Bills. This is the most important game for our Super Bowl odds, mostly because of the Bills. But it's the Case Keenum experience probably. Yes. Everybody, I mean, the line has moved to Bills minus 3.5. It's clear that Vegas thinks Case Keenum is playing in this game. I think Case Keenum is playing in this game. And I think Case Keenum can beat the Minnesota Vikings. I was impressed when I saw the Vikings with TJ Hawkinson on the field early in that game. They were running some very cool things with Hawkinson and Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson running the shorter route. Hawkinson going above him. Great opportunity to, to like put the safeties in the bind of the middle of the field. And they did a lot of that very early on against the Commanders. And then they stopped for, 40, for 45 minutes of game time. And did nothing because the Vikings tend to do that to you. Um, but I'm still stuck on this Vikings team that looks like they are, should not be anywhere near their record. And player for player, position for position, Keenum playing within himself, maybe doing some of the less of the uh, interception happy hero ball type stuff Allen's done over the last few weeks should be able to win that game. Yeah, I get I get more concerned about with with Allen being out. How did the Bills get a run game going in this one? Um, I'm not trying to make it establish the run, you know, in the, in the game yeah. argument here, but their offense generally is the Josh Allen show. Like they, yeah. they don't even care about trying to get the ball to their running backs. And it works because he's so good at that. Without that, they're just a whole different team. Uh, now in the Vikings, I think they've been really strong against the run this year. That's been, that's been the unit that I'd be, I'd be most reticent to, to attack for them. So does it become more of a, a drop back show? I'm not, it becomes very difficult to predict what the Bills' offense will look like. Right. I think, I, it, I absolutely, yeah. Believe I believe we're going to see more quick game. We're going to see get the ball to Davis underneath a little bit more. Some of the yak producing guys, Shakir, get the ball to those backs. Maybe we'll see a little bit of Naheem that they just brought in uh, in the screen game. And I think that they can have a lot of success playing that kind of game. I will say the Vikings have the worst pass defense in the league against short passes. Anything that is 15 air yards or less, they are the worst pass defense in the league. So if the Bills are going to have to concentrate on a bunch of short passes, this is the right defense to do it again. Even though Jordan Hicks is playing really well, their other, other defenders have not had a good time with the short passes. Right. right. Vikings are at their best when they're getting a lot of pass rush off the edge from their two edge rushers. Don't know if they're going to get that this game. And something I've been pointing out a lot on the Monday column, the Vikings are the best uh, field position team in the NFL. And I really do not know how sustainable this field position advantage they have. They have an average of like starting field position, like a six and a half yard advantage every week. And last week it was literally like the punt, the, the, the 
the Washington commander's punt is rolling at the two yard line and they're about to get pinned to the two and a guy bats it into the end zone instead of, <laughs> instead of downing it. I don't think that the, the Vikings can sustain that kind of football. Yeah, they've got the, the Bills this week and the Cowboys next week. I think we're going to learn a lot, uh, even if it is Case Keenum's Bills. Yeah. Old Heady thinks the Bills are walking away with an easy dub. Yeah. Old Heady. Old Heady, 403. I, I, I don't know how easy it is, but I'm going to tell you what my play was in this game as soon as I can pull it up on my notes here, which is taking a moment. I apologize for vamping. This is very bad podcasting. <laughs> But my play on this game, let me go to my bets. I, I found it for you. Thank you. Go it, ahead. Say it, please. Bill's money line and under, which uh, the consensus is now 43.5 at plus 190. Nice. I got it at 45.5. A little shakier at 43.5. But that's the play there. I, I, I don't want the points involved, especially I have to make these bets early when we don't, we, the, the, Ken, the Keenum thing was very much in doubt. I like the Bills money line and the under. Yeah, if I had to bet spread, I would go Vikings three and a half. But as soon as that spread got to three or less, I would go Bills. I can see Keenum. I don't see Keenum running away from the Vikings. I like that. But I think the Bills are a good enough team overall to be favored in this game. Yeah, another another very tricky one here. I'll take the under just because um, I hate I hate the idea of of taking the over in the NFL this year. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I, I lean I lean to the Bills being just enough of a better team. I do think that records aside, I think the Bills are a much better team than the Vikings. And I do think that that they can put it together to play well enough to, you know, keep Ken Dorsey for from melting down. Because um, even if Keenum means these offenses are equal, the Bills are better on defense and the Bills are better on special teams. And the yep. Bills are at home. Yep. By the way, Bills one and seven at clearing the over this year. Tampa Bay two and seven at clearing the over over this year. Wow. Yeah. Um, 1 p.m. Browns at Dolphins. This is the most important game of the week for our playoff odds because if the Browns win, they make the playoffs 21% of the time. And if they lose, it's 4%. And if the Dolphins win, they're at 80%. And if they lose, they're at 51%. Um, I will point out that Miami is seventh in DVOA against the run and 31st against the pass. So as much as the Browns love to run the ball, this may be Jacoby Brissett put it in the air week. Right. This is Especially because I checked Xavier Howard on SISDataHub.com. Speaking of uh, uh, coverage being inconsistent from year to year, holy mackerel, Xavier Howard has zero points saved and 11.8 yards per target allowed. Xavier oh, yeah. Howard. And he wow. missed he missed a couple of games. He was he was playing with a hamstring earlier in the year that led to him getting torched a few times, kind of memorably, and uh, it really hasn't stabilized very much. And the injuries haven't stopped on the back end. They're still waiting to get Byron Jones back. Nick Needham's now out for the year. They've they've kind of filled in uh, the strong safety also injured Brandon Jones, I believe. So um, it's really been a revolving door. Uh, Javon Holland's been their most consistent guy there on the back end, but. Um, I think that's definitely definitely their weakness. The whole defense has been very weak. It's been really uh, kind of kind of falling apart uh, bit by bit from what Brian Flores has built. It's been interesting watching the de- the the offense come along and then the defense kind of bit by bit seem to start to fall apart. Um, 
it's hard to imagine this being a game just like last week. You saw the Dolphins didn't have much punting in that in that game from either team. Hard to imagine a lot of punts in this game either. Um, no, it's the over-under on it is 49.5. It's a pretty high number because these these teams are fifth and second in offensive DVOA and 24th and 27th on defense. Wow. I don't know if that's overbeat for me, but that's uh and the Browns are 30th against deep passes. And guess which quarterback in the league is best this year on deep passes, even though we admit they're not all beautiful balls. It's two, 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 two. Thanks to the Hill and Waddle and their ability to adjust to those underthrown deep balls. He is the king of deep balls this year. And this defense is bad against the deep ball. Yeah. Gets, get some pass interferences call there, too. Uh, it seems like that's been happening every week for two on one of those under under underthrow intentional underthrows, let's call it right. Yeah, pass interference and also, and I got this all from the Data Hub at Sports Info Solutions last week. It's like the pass is in the ten to twenty five yard range, and we saw another one last week where you try to play tight coverage on one of those receivers, and he just wins at the snap, and he's got a three yard cushion ten yards down the field. So when the ball's a yard or two underthrown, he's still got the cushion and he makes the catch. And that's mm-hmm. happening a lot. We don't do a lot, by the way, of fantasy uh, advice on the show here. We invite you to uh, join the Discord, Wesley. Um, yes. For both but- Wesley and Timothy Johnson are asking for fantasy advice. Uh, definitely join the Discord where the URL is below the show on YouTube. Or check out the weekly fantasy projections on footballoutsiders.com if you're an FO Plus subscriber. And it'll give you an idea of who you should start. Yeah. I like, I like Gabe Davis, though, in that one. Marshall Jr., that's the kid for the Panthers, right? Uh, yes. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would stay away from the Panthers. I mean, even though the Falcons' defense is terrible, I, I, the Panthers' offense is also terrible. I, mean, I, I think I might start Connor just because he's going to get most of the runs for Arizona. He's asking with the, for people who are just listening and can't see the question. He's asking uh, who should he start at flex: Gabriel Davis, Terrace Marshall, or James Connor. Yeah, so I like I like Connor. Uh, do you guys have a pick in this one with the line being Dolphins minus three and a half? I'm going to take the Dolphins. I do not have a lot of faith in this Browns team. They, they run the ball very well. They keep these games close. I think the run is helping Brissett with down and distance situations, which is 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 keep keeping him very viable as a starter. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with this Dolphins offense. I agree. I think it's the Dolphins. I think that. Um, I think that the Browns will be able to score some points, but I don't think as many as the Dolphins at the end of the day. So I would go that way. I'd probably take the over in this one for all the reasons that we mentioned. And, you know, and I'll say that you know, if if I'm wrong, the way I would expect to be wrong is if the Browns and their top-ranked pass rush can find a way to get to Tua. Um, obviously, we've seen him knocked out already this year, but if, if there's going to be one way to get to him, it's not going to be by covering those receivers. It's going to be by getting after him. And then maybe they can maybe they can just uh, play keep away and, yeah. and keep pace and that sort of a thing. Yeah, and Armstead, Armstead was on the injury report with that toe injury, but I think he's been always playing. on the injury report, huh? Yeah. 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 Cleveland's pass rush is mostly just Garrett. They don't have a lot of other pass rush for this year. Right. Right. Um, to Sean Zanetta, we were just talking about this. Definitely join the Discord for fantasy questions or check out the weekly fantasy projections on footballoutsiders.com. We are we are not the fantasy experts, unfortunately, right. to be able to tell you who to start uh, out of those guys. For, former Giants punter, Sean Zanetta here. So that's Sean, 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 Sean Zanetta. 
Yeah, uh, I don't have the projections right in front of me right now. Um, Cowboys at Packers will briefly talk about 4 p.m. because that's the game most of the country is getting, even though it doesn't seem like the most exciting game. Um, interesting, just pointing out differences between the stats. Um, Yash Nyman does really well in the ESPN block rates, does not do well in the SIS total points. So I thought that was interesting when I was researching this game. Okay. Um, Dallas is third in DVOA running the ball. The Packers are 31st in run defense. Oh, my God. Oh, my so, God. How many I, points do I have to give up here? Just, just it's Packers. It's, it's Cowboys minus five. Oh, please. Yeah. See, no problem. I've never Four been so half. excited. I've never been so excited to turn down five points and Aaron Rodgers before, but but I, I, don't think that, I think the Cowboys are a great bet here. This shouldn't be a close game based on everything we've seen and, and how these teams stack no, up. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be a close game. I, I like the over-under is 43. I kind of like going over in this one. Yeah, I don't hate over there. And I'm wondering if just a Cowboys and over and just money line it. I wonder what that would look like. Uh, that way I don't – it's down to four and a half, by the way. Oh, interesting. But, okay. But uh, if I just take money line and, and you can get money line and over at plus 175 if you're worried about them keeping the game close, for example, which the Packers, remember, a couple of weeks ago against the Bills, they just start running the ball in the second half. You never know. So you're worried about which you could Cowboys. see here. I think the Cowboys, yes. if you're going to attack them defensively, you want to attack them on the ground. Um, so you could see that here. Um, and that, that that might just suppress the score, just make it all happen a little bit more slowly. <laughs> yeah. uh, George Howard asks, what is Discord? Oh, good. We're answering the question in the discussion. It's a cool application, actually, that where you can have like a community of people talking. And we have all kinds of discussions like during the games, live discussions with the Football Outsiders writers participating. You should definitely, definitely check it out. Right. So there's um, a social network that is like contained. I think. Let's finish up with the 8 p.m. Chargers at 49ers. Uh, Chargers playoff odds, 74% with a win, 53% with a loss. 49ers, 78% with a win, 56% with a loss. Um, this one, first of all, Mike loves first quarter lines on night games. Ooh, give me one. Give me one. San Francisco in the first quarter is sixth on offense and second on defense. The Chargers in the first quarter are 25th on offense and 28th on defense. And I believe the line is San Francisco minus two and a half in the first quarter. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's a great first quarter play. Take the Niners. Count on whether it's not their hot start or the Chargers weak start. Get them. get a nice win. Go to bed if you're not interested in the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> the other one the note I put down here is uh, Nick Bosa versus practice squad right tackle Foster Sorrell. Ooh, that is probably who's playing right tackle for the Chargers this week is a guy off the practice squad named Foster Sorrell. Apparently, that's who is in with the starters at right tackle in practice. Let me uh, let me be on record as saying I don't trust Joe Lombardi to figure it out. <laughs> uh. So yeah, go go on your screen about the Chargers. We mentioned the Chargers offense earlier. If you've got a screen, hit it. Yeah, I mean the the Chargers are are doing the best right now that they possibly could to squander the talent that is that is Justin Herbert. The only thing they could do that would be more aggressive in that direction would be to bring in uh, Mario Cristobal from the University of Miami to reunite <laughs> him because that's why we all got tricked about Herbert in the first place. Anybody, any analyst who said 
they weren't sure about him coming out. We got tricked by Mario Cristobal. And if you watch Justin Herbert enough in this Joe Lombardi offense, you'll think the exact same thing. You'll start to wonder if this guy's actually as good as you thought he was. But you just got to close your eyes. It's not it's not fair to him. It's not it's not a reasonable semblance of an offense. Whatever perfume lingered on Joe Lombardi from his last name and from being around Sean Payton is faded. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's really it's it's become kind of malpractice at this point. So um, I don't know how you look at a game like this. You know, total points allows you to do funny things like, say, the Chargers have a good passing offense, but bad receivers and the Niners have bad passers, but good receivers. Um, But, you know, really, at the end of the day, I just take a step back here and say, I really don't have any trust in what the Chargers are offensively at this point. It seems like they're relying on the strategy of. Once we fall behind, we'll just try to tr- save us, Justin, and 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 that's and that's pretty much the whole strategy there. So the 49ers for a couple of years have been really, really good against short passes, and really, really bad against deep passes. He's not going to throw deep. Do you trust Joe Lombardi to suddenly start calling a bunch of deep passes? No, no he's not going to do that. By the way, to whom? Keenan Allen did not practice again on Wednesday. Mike Williams did not practice again on Wednesday. Uh, Trey Pipkins, the right tackle, they say, did not practice. Uh, Jeremy Slayer, the left tackle, uh, he was a full participant. And uh, DeAndre Carter is on on the injury report. Now, he, he did practice, but when DeAndre Carter is your deep guy, there's nobody to throw to anyway. Now, yeah. granted, that's not 100% fair because the Saints throw downfield and they throw to Olave and Callaway and these guys, so you can. But you can see that it's not even going to be optimized, even if Lombardi figures it out. Uh, One other really funny stat I found in doing research about this game. The Chargers really have struggled this year against passes on the right side of the field. And Jimmy Garoppolo leads the NFL in DVOA on passes on the right side of the field. Now, I have no idea why the, the San Francisco stat is what it is. I know why the Chargers stat is what it is. It's because for the first six or seven games, that's where J.C. Jackson was, and he sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it applies anymore, but it is interesting. It is interesting. interesting. I get, I'm guessing Jimmy G prefers throwing bubble screens to his right. You get him out a little bit more quickly. And yeah. Then bubble screens to the right, flares to the right, to the running backs. <laughs> right. A little, Feels a little. better when it's your open side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keeping it, <laughs> it simple for Jimmy G. So you, you like – you sent me an email – McCaffrey to score a rushing and receiving touchdown plus 550. Yeah, I'm eyeing that one up. A fun little prop there. You can see how much of an impact he's had on the offense already. So at, pl- at plus 550, I think and it's You know a that one. Chargers run defense has been awful this year. Chargers wow. run defense is awful. Uh, J- uh, Jeremy Tillery is also on the injury report. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the run defense, but it leans towards you're going to see a lot of C-Mac. Uh, <laughs> San Francisco minus seven Ooh. with the over under at 45 and a half. That's a lot to give up. I, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm leaning charters plus seven, but it probably is like a like back backdoor cover or something. It's, the Boza versus practice squad rando is the thing that scares me. If I play it, I'm going to tease it in some way. So I get a little bit less. I don't have to give up the touchdown. Yeah, this is why I'm not a betting man, but I, I I would just not trust the the men who I said I won't trust, and so I'll yes. subtract the seven. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Manicharian not trusting Joe Lombardi. Get it right. 
Uh, we are not, sorry, Todd, we are not previewing the Josh McDaniels Bowl between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I mean, the, the Colts early week was a journey for me. There were a couple of times I was about to email Aaron and say, hey, I'm going to write about the Colts. And then another thing happened. And I just said, you know what? There's there's a level beyond even what I can make fun of. And I'll say that Ursay's snide comment about analytics uh, being used by coaches who are afraid was weird. And then Saturday saying he's always going to take the points. They have a really good analytics department in Indianapolis. <laughs> I hope they use those guys because they're good. He's making fun of app analytics and then saying, you know, we've been in the first quartile in the league. Well, don't say quartile if you don't like analytics. Don't come in like you're a prob stat professor and then turn around and say, you know, these analytics nerds, it's one or the other, Jim. I mean, he also said he's in the first quartile of the first quartile, which he's not. Like right. he said fourth, and he said the first quartile of the first quartile. 32 first divided quartile? by four is eight, and then eight divided by four is two. You're in the second quartile of the four. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the 16th tile, right? Is there even a name for the 16th tile? Anyway, he, he's getting the banner ready. He's getting the first quartile banner ready for Lucas Oil Stadium. That's that's Tre Trexel that's cool. says he's not a Colts fan, but he really wants to see Jeff Saturday succeed there. I don't want to see Jeff Saturday succeed no, because no. he seems like a really good guy, yeah. but this just seems like such an end around of the Rooney rule. Well, before, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about Ursay with that because Ursay did hire Tony Dungy and he did replace. Tony Dungey, uh, Tony Dungey with um, why am I suddenly blanking on Caldwell? Caldwell, Caldwell, right? Yeah. So yeah, so it's not like he has a history of not hiring African American head, American head coaches, but this this seems like an end around of the rule, and I don't I don't want to see that happen. Let's try to. With, uh, I'm going to yell it into the air, but let's try to not play the results if the Colts win a couple of games and say, oh, Jeff Saturday turned this team around. The one thing we know about teams with their coaches that get fired is that they usually perform better over the rest of the season because they were performing so poorly to that point. So like it's, it's nuance and God forbid we like listen to any nuance, but we should expect that they'll improve based on their roster and the fact that they've just, they, it obviously hasn't gone their way so far this year. Um, that doesn't mean that it'll make it right or wrong. That's how you get Dan Campbell a couple of years back with the Dolphins. He put Metallica on in the weight room and put posters up and he changed the culture overnight and he had like a two game win streak. Um, well, the Raiders are not the hardest team to beat. So, <laughs> Yeah. Have you seen Sam Ellinger? You did. I did. And he's you bad. Did. <laughs> <laughs> and he's bad. Yeah. Sam Ellinger. I've seen him now live. Not good. Yeah. All right. Uh, that does it for the show today. Thanks, Matt, for joining us and just having so much good content, so much good stuff. And so, again, check out the SISdatahub.com and also all of their work at 33rd Team. Tons of SIS stuff now at 33rdteam.com. Uh, those are good guys. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. Play Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code OUTSIDERS and double your first deposit up to $100. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Please tell your friends about the show. Like and rate the show. Be here every day at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Now Eastern Standard Time. Mike, have a good weekend. Enjoy week 10. You too. Matt, thank you again. And, Thanks, uh, we'll we have to have you.
have to have you on the SIS Off the Charts football podcast soon. Old school. Uh, And uh, for everybody else, have a good weekend, and we'll see you next week.